Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a Thursday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. Lance Reisland is going to join us in the second half of the podcast to uh, look back at the Texans game and go over some things. This was actually going to be a solo Lance pod, but then the Browns decided to wake up this morning and make some news. So we're going to talk a little bit about the coaching staff shakeup. Uh, so Alex Van Pelt is out. TC McCartney, the tight ends coach, out. Running backs coach Stump Mitchell, out. Really simple question here, Mary Kay. What happened exactly? You know what? I think that Deshaun Watson is coming back and they want a new energy, a new vibe, a new look, a new new feel on that offense. I actually think, and I doubt anybody will tell us that this would, nobody's going to tell us this had anything to do with it. But when you see the Bobby Slowicks out there calling a game, and getting the kind of year that they got out of C.J. Stroud and then doing what they were able to do to the number one defense in the NFL, uh, you know, I, I think the Browns are like, we want us some of that, you know? Like, they want, uh, you know, just that sort of young, up-and-coming, brilliant play-calling mind. Now, does this mean that Kevin Stefanski, I wrote some of this in my story that's up there to, right now on Cleveland.com, Um Does this mean that Kevin Stefanski will give up the play calling? I think the answer right now is maybe. He's never been willing to do that before because he's always been the best option. It hasn't been because he is so wed to the chore. It's because he wants the best person on the staff to call the plays. And he always, to this point, felt that was himself. But in the same way that they upgraded the defensive staff this year and got the number one defense out of it. That's what they're trying to do on the offensive side of the ball. They want something new and fresh over there at a bunch of different positions. And, um, you know, if Alex Van Pelt wasn't to the point where he could call plays for this team, then I do think it's time for them to move that. If, if they don't think he's good enough to do that, then they have to find somebody who is capable of doing that. And I don't know that you can go out and find the best, brightest offensive mind that you can without handing over play calling duties. I think that's going to be very interesting. It's I don't know how they're going to do that dance. We, we got to see how that goes. Yeah, I agree with that. I want to spend a little more time on that too. But Ashley, um, I, I guess what were your first, what did you think when you look at your phone and all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> oh, Alex Van Pelt's gone. Stump Mitchell's gone. TC McCartney's gone. This yeah, my- shakeup. My first thought was kind of, I think, Mary Kay, ultimately what you ended up writing and what you're alluding to there, that when you make moves like that kind of en masse, that my instinct was, and like, they're probably going for that, talk about vibe checks from a coaching perspective, a different energy, a different vibe. A lot of it, I think, has to do with reintegrating Deshaun Watson. I do think it's really interesting what Mary Kay was talking about and what she wrote in regards to, are we going to finally see 
this change in play calling. And I think like on surface level, and I've seen a lot of chatter about this, people are wondering, you know, about Stump Mitchell. And I do think these are fair questions and TC because yes, like the run game wasn't that great, but Stump Mitchell had to help, you know, coordinate that without Nick Chubb. Um, And TC McCartney is tight ends coach. David Njoku had a career year. So I think like it's fair to see some chatter about that. And uh, why do you let these guys go? But I think if you're talking about, the overarching picture of getting fresh ideas in there. And then from that offensive coordinator spot, potentially getting somebody that you want to call plays for Deshaun Watson. I do think there is something to that. And I do think like, you know, these are all guys who have been on Kevin Stefanski's staff since he got here. Stump Mitchell, I think was the holdover even from the year prior. Right. Um, So these are guys who have been here a while now. I do wonder like, would it be good to get some different, feistier energy in there that's maybe less Kevin Stefanski-esque. And I don't know if they would ultimately do that, but I do think it's important to have different personalities, different voices, if you want this offense to look different and and want to prevent it from becoming stale. I think that staleness was my first thought when I saw these moves and preventing that. Yeah, that's sort of what I thought too. And also like, I mean, let's be honest, this offense has been fine and Kevin's been a good play caller and, and you know, it's been interesting to watch this evolve and, and see how Kevin's put all this together. But, I mean, let's not pretend like we've been watching the greatest show on turf here for, for four years. I mean, the offense this year was was not all that great statistically now. You had games where P.J. Walker started and Dorian Thompson-Robinson started and you had to rescue Joe Flacco off the scrap heap. When Flacco came back, Obviously, you're putting up 300-yard passing games, 400-yard games of offense. So it was much better with Joe Flacco. But also, that was that old-school, under-center, play-action heavy. That was the classic kind of Kevin Stefanski at his core offense. Um, I I don't know. I like. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know if a year from now we're going to say these were all the right moves. And, man, this is the same thing as what happened with Jim Schwartz. But at the same time, Mary Kay, it's not like – they're breaking up just to use it again. It's not like they're breaking up the greatest show on turf or Andy Reed and Patrick Mahomes here. There's definitely room for growth in this offense. And I'm kind of with Ashley, like you're four years into this. It's okay to kind of look in the mirror and say, Hey, we've, we've got to shake this thing up because we're three, we're going into year three of Deshaun Watson and it's not close to where we want it to be. So for various reasons, not all because of coaching, but like it's, it's okay to, maybe look in the mirror and shake this thing up. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, once again, if you were not going to uh, let Alex call plays at any point, and, and that happens, I mean, you know, Andy Reid continues to call his own plays, but I mean, it just does seem like they needed something new uh, for the Deshaun Watson experience. Alex is very steeped in the West Coast offense. Very, very steeped in the West Coast offense. And if you really want the best of the best in terms of bringing out uh, the talent of Deshaun Watson, then you're going to have to find somebody that is really good at doing those kinds of things with a dual threat quarterback and all the things that that brings. Uh, So I, I definitely can understand where they're going with this. They did give Alex Van Pelt an opportunity to stick around in a different capacity, and that's going to help. That is going to be the case with some other guys too, and we'll get into that as we go along. Um, but I, I just think that in terms of the quarterback, you know, this is all about Deshaun, right? Now they've only got three years left under this current contract at $46 million a year to get the most out of Deshaun. They have to hit the ground running. 
They have to be ready to go. And I, you know, I really did think that, you know, it seemed like they sold it to us last year. Like Alex is the guy. He's great with quarterbacks. Deshaun loves him, whatever. Something got lost in the translation where they decided, no, we need something different. Who knows? Maybe they'll look to the college ranks. Maybe they'll look to the, you know, spread offense type of situation. You know, I mean, maybe they'll, maybe they'll bring in someone unexpected. Maybe they'll bring in Dabo Sweeney. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I think they that's, will. That's when we would look at this and say, uh, what exactly are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm kidding with that. Um, but you know what I'm saying? They, maybe they will think a little bit outside of the box. Now on the defensive side of the ball, they didn't go young and fresh. They actually went more old school, but someone who was just really, really well established. They are on the defensive side of the ball, by the way. And again, we can save this for a little bit later, but they are shaking up the most important position on the defense, defensive line coach. I'm surprised about that. Like, Ben Bloom is probably going to be in a different capacity if he sticks around. If you're bringing, if you're interviewing a defensive line coach, Ben Bloom is not your defensive line coach anymore. So I think we, I think we're pretty safe in saying that that experiment is over right now. Yeah. I I saw that. I saw those tweets um, coming out. And then of course you confirmed it, Mary Can. I'm thinking like, is Ben Bloom just like walking around the building and he shakes hands. Hey, who are you? Nice to meet you. What are you here for? I'm here to interview for D line coach. What do you do? Oh yeah. That might be kind of awkward. Um, Yes. Yeah. That, that was a little bit of, that was a little bit of a surprise. Let's, let's go back to the play calling thing just a little bit, because I think Mary Kay, you made the key point. And that is if, if this is going to be a big all-inclusive search, the best way to attract the best talent is to give up play calling. And when Kevin Stefanski first got here, he made it clear and he's made it clear over and over. Like he doesn't define himself as a play caller. It's what he's done. And he's kept it, like you said, because he thinks he's the best guy for the job. But I've never gotten the impression that Kevin Stefanski just loves play calling and it's what he wants to do. And it is his passion to call plays. Um, So, you know, along those lines, Ashley, when you look at at kind of that part of it, this is probably the closest we've come to Kevin actually deciding, okay, I'm not going to call plays anymore. Because if you're going to bring in some hot college coordinator or, you know, whatever other names we want to throw out, somebody else looking for a promotion to offensive coordinator, the best way to do that is to also say, your, your column plays on Sundays. Yeah, I think that would be a big allure. And again, it's like if if you're going to make this move, I think hiring somebody to be, you know, an offensive coordinator, not letting them call plays, it's almost like I can't say what I actually want to say, half something it, right? Like that's almost like it's hedging the move. And I think in year three of Deshaun, you kind of need to go full throttle and – make the move. If you're going to go through the trouble of cleaning up house a little bit, making three coaching changes all at once, it's clear you need something different. And like you said, if Kevin Stefanski is not that end all be all, I have to play call play callings, my passion, let somebody else have that chance. If you think you found the right guy. And I think that's what they need to be searching for to get this going and to get some different kind of energy there. And somebody that's going to work well with calling plays for Deshaun Watson, I think is, is going to be key. I do think they need something different, but I think if you're going to go through the trouble of making that move, 
you you could have sat here another year and let Alex Van Pelt not call plays, right? I think you're going to get somebody new that probably is going to wind up being their responsibility in my mind. I mean, the only way that you they wouldn't end up calling plays is if it's sort of a, you know, maybe, again, someone from the college ranks that is an up-and-coming mind that, uh, you know, is just the uh, new offensive savant or something like that that hasn't really done it before and needs to kind of learn the ropes before they actually do it. In that scenario, you know, maybe they would be willing to take a job like this where, you know, they get the lay of the land in their first year and then move into the play-calling role later. So there's so many different ways you can go about it. I think it will depend on who you hire and they should broaden the search. They probably have people in mind. They've probably had people in mind for a while, Um, but they should make sure that they're widening the search enough uh, that they're thinking outside of the box, that they're looking under rocks and in nooks and crannies and other places for what you're looking for is a Sean McVay kind of a mind, a Bobby Slowick kind of a mind. You know what I mean? That That's what you're looking for. And if you find that person, you know, maybe, maybe you hand that over right away. Maybe you don't. But, you know, don't get locked in. I, I don't think they should get locked into one person right away. They've got, it's an open book for them right now. I mean, they can find the best brightest offensive mind. And that's what they should have. They should have the best offensive mind that they could possibly come up with because they've got some really good players on that offense. And I think they need more. We all agree on that. They need some new weapons. They need some new blood on that offense. Um, But this person should be brilliant. And I, I just have to think that they've got a short list of, of that kind of a guy that, that they have been looking at that Andrew and Paul and those guys have been thinking about, or that Kevin has in mind that they've been thinking about this person for a year, maybe more. And now they're going to bring him into the building and see what they can do. Yeah. And, and, you know, obviously they've got to move quickly, right? There's a bunch of teams who are hiring coaches, hiring coordinators. So they've, they've sort of, dove into this pool now. Um, so, so they've got to move quickly on that front. So another thing I want to ask here, Mary Kay, I know this is something that I've seen a lot on Twitter today. And I think a lot of people are wondering, so in, in your reporting, you pointed out that the first thing I think that relieves a lot of Browns fans is Bill Callahan is staying. So he's expected to stay on board, best offensive line coach in football, key piece to this entire offense, no matter what it looks like, it's Bill Callahan. Chad O'Shea is the other name you mentioned. And I think there's some people who are looking at this and saying, wait a second, the running backs have been pretty good under Stump. David Njoku just had his best year under T.C. McCartney. They're both gone. But Chad O'Shea is staying, and we're not really sure how that receiver room has developed under him. So I I guess this is kind of a two-part question. Why those two? And maybe we don't even fully know yet. And also, why is O'Shea safe in all of this? Well, you know, let's start with the fact that, you know, sometimes when you make a change, there are things behind the scenes that we don't see. We don't realize why a guy might not be fitting in anymore for one reason or another. Uh, In the case of Stump, I think that, you know, I, I think at this, I think it had run its course. I think it had run its course and they, they just needed 
uh, a new face there. I think they were ready for for someone with just a little bit of a different vibe, maybe someone not set in his ways. And age, you know, age doesn't have anything to do with it. As I just mentioned, you know, Jim Schwartz is not young. I mean, he's not old, but he's not super young. He's not one of these up and coming 43 year old guys. Uh, you know, he's 57, maybe 58 now. Um, so Stump, I don't think it was necessarily the fact that he's 64 as much as it is the fact that, you know, maybe he was set too set in his ways or set enough in his ways that they just wanted someone else that was going to do things in a different way or see things in a different way. Sometimes we don't know why a guy isn't fitting into the program anymore. I don't know why TC McCartney didn't fit into the program, but the writing for me was on the wall a little bit when they started him out in the quarterback room and he was going down that road, which is a pretty good road to go down because that usually leads to the play calling road. And then they yanked him off of that and put him on tight ends. That said to me that, that he wasn't necessarily on the fast track to, you know, to OC play calling, you know, the best job on the offense. So, you know, that one, might not be all that shocking, but he did a heck of a job with David Njoku. I mean, David Njoku had a fantastic year this year. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about that one. But, um, you know, his, his was a situation where his contract was up and they just didn't renew the contract. So they didn't necessarily fire him, but they just didn't retain him. Um, and then in, in terms of Chad O'Shea, um He's a really good coach. I mean, he's like Bill Callahan. You know, he's the Bill Callahan of receivers coaches. He's a really, really good receivers coach. He got a great year out of Amari. I think Amari is just dynamite. And, uh, you know, he brought along a guy like David Bell. I mean, David had a pretty, you know, David looked pretty solid this year. He brought along Cedric Tillman. I don't think it's necessarily his fault that they didn't add another Pro Bowl caliber receiver, which they should have done. Um you know, I think that once again, Elijah Moore's season was a function of he was supposed to be paired with Deshaun Watson and be a certain kind of receiver for Deshaun. And the lack of continuity at quarterback, I think, did not help Elijah Moore's case. So we'll have to see what he can still get out of him. But I think that um, that Chad O'Shea will probably have an upgraded receiving court in 2024. Yeah, I mean it's hard it's hard to blame Chadosh. I mean, there's only so much you can get out of certain players, right? Like David Bell is a limited player. There's only so much you can get out of a player like that. So I, I think it's hard. And I think it's hard to judge position coaches just on it this sounds weird. It's hard to judge position coaches just on the production of their position sometimes, because there are so many other factors that, that go yes, into it. Totally. Um, so and like and I and I think the the really key point you made there is we just we don't we aren't in that building. 12, 16 hours a day, every day, seeing what's going on. So there's just so much that, that we can't, we aren't going to know. And then we can't know. So um, it'll be interesting to see. Now, Ashley, I, I like the idea of shaking things up because when we talk about the NFL, like we know, like we already know next year, the seven teams that made the playoffs this year are not going to make the playoffs next year might be five, might be four. There's going to be a, you know, there's going to be at least two, three new playoff teams. So the Browns have to make sure they're not one of them. 
And on one hand, I could argue, well, they're getting guys back, so that's that's going to make them better. On the other hand, I could argue this team certainly could be a regression candidate. Are they going to have the number one defense again? Their schedule's tougher. Um, you know, there there are certainly reasons why they might end up being a team that goes nine and eight and misses the playoffs, and that's what they try to avoid. So I don't mind them kind of being aggressive and deciding that they need to shake things up and make sure that the, that word you used earlier, it's not stale, that, that they're going to be, that last year was last year and now we're on to 2024 and it's a different year and a different team. Yeah, you know, I do keep thinking about that schedule a lot. And I feel like we've already kind of talked about it a lot, not to get people into the schedule game too early, but Mary Kay, you've made this point too, like the quarterbacks that are coming next year it's just a much tougher slate. And I think at least you and I agree, Dan, I don't know if we've gotten you on this boat with us as well, but I think the games where this defense looked its worst had less to do with home and away for me and more to do with the savviness of the quarterbacks that they yeah, played I, I, in those I games and the processing. Okay, good. So we're all on the same page with that too. And I think along those lines, like we hear these guys talk all the time about this league is about being able to adapt and things, teams figure each other out. We saw the Texans do it to the Browns last weekend, right? But I think on a larger scale, teams probably had a pretty good idea of what this offense was going to look like next year if all of those same guys came back. Even though like the sample size with Deshaun is still fairly small, I think you could make some guesses. So I think if you bring in some new voices and, hey, can – change up play calling potentially that's important when you look at the you know the the welcome for getting a decent record is a harder schedule next year right we all know that so I think that doing everything you can to try to preemptively shake things up is a good thing in this situation because like we've been saying this wasn't the greatest show on turf this was a you know a good to decent offense but I think it can be better Well, you know, the other thing that I think about when I look ahead to next year, and there are some statistics, and I remember uh, the one year that Scott Patsko was doing a lot of analytic stuff for us. Uh, now he's um, he's the night manager. He's basically our boss now. Um, but uh, when he was doing a lot of analytics stuff for us, um, he had some good statistics on, uh, you know, when you – win games like in the last whatever the Browns won five games this year on the whatever in the last driver in the last two minutes something like that I can't remember exactly what that stat is but we all know they won a bunch a bunch of close games and um, those breaks don't always go your way and so when you get into the next season you know your 11 and 6 record you might not be able to match that because you know, two, three, four of those victories, you were in some cases, you know, it could have gone either way. Five of them, it could have easily gone either way. So, you know, in addition to a much tougher QB gauntlet next year, uh, they also have to deal with the fact that um, they were not blowing out teams this year. They were not blowing out teams. And in a lot of cases, they were not playing the best of the best quarterbacks you know, and, and they still weren't really blowing out teams. So, um, and, and there were a lot of extenuating circumstances. There were a lot of extenuating circumstances. Everything's going to be different next year. 
they're going to have a different quarterback. They're going to have a different coordinator. They're going to have who knows what's going on with the rest of the offense. But so many things will be different, but it will be tough. It's going to be tough and maybe tougher to get to 11 and six next year than it was this year. Yeah, the, the two of the things that are hardest to carry over from year to year are those close wins. Ask the Minnesota Vikings about that. Mm-hmm. And then also turnovers, right? If you're a team that one year forces a bunch of turnovers, that doesn't always, next year you might force fewer turnovers. You know, those, those things are really hard to predict and really unsustainable. So, um, and, you know, look, this De- Deshaun played better this year. And of course, he left a great taste in everyone's mouth with that 14 of 14 against Baltimore. Um, you know, but that, that final drive made, made a really nice throw to Amari, but it was a lot of screens, a lot of catch and run. The offense never looked great. You know, it never it never seemed to fit. It never, and it, part of it is because he was in and out of the lineup, but it just, it was a lot of Deshaun running around. And you just can't have that again, or he's going to get hurt again. Now he has to be able to run. That has to be a part of it, but it, it's got to, you've got to get him back to looking more like the guy he was in Houston and putting putting together the kinds of games he did in Houston over and over and over again, uh, where, where it doesn't look like he's just kind of making it up as he goes. And no matter what anybody thinks about Deshaun Watson, he's your $230 million quarterback. Everything he's the, he's the son. Everything revolves around him. So like whatever, it doesn't matter what you think of him because he's the Browns quarterback. He's your $230 million man. And this thing is going to sink or swim because of him. So they have to, they have to bring in an offense and an offensive coordinator that fits what he does best, like period. And you, you know what we don't know? Here's what we don't know. And, you know, this is all just kind of hitting. And I had, I was on an assignment today that took me away from being able to dig into all of this today. Um, but what we don't know is what role did Deshaun Watson play in this decision? directly you know now maybe i i know he's not one he this is not in his nature i've asked so many people about this he's not one to go to the browns and say hey will you please sign deandre hopkins he doesn't do that that's not who he is so i i highly doubt that he would have said you know what this alex van pelt thing just you know what i mean but you know you do have conversations you do have you know, heart to heart talks. You do have man to man conversations after the season, right? And these are the kinds of things that you talk about. And, you know, if, if they discuss the fact that, look, I've got to have somebody that knows how to call this kind of an offense, you know, I mean, he might have had an influence on them more directly than we will probably ever know. And I do think to your point, Mary Kay, like if Deshaun Watson was absolutely enamored with Alex Van Pelt, like he probably would have been vocal, like the flip side of that, right? Like shown mm-hmm. that loyalty and been like, we're working really well together. That message, I think, would have been clear in those mm-hmm. exit meetings and, you know, end of, you know, whatever other kind of discussion he has with Kevin Stefanski that, hey, this is really working really well. And I just love working with this guy. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I mean, there, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes in these kinds of situations. And, you know, who knows if we'll ever really, you know, know why or how it all went down. But as Dan pointed out, you know, the earth revolves around or whatever. Something revolves around. 
Deshaun is, is like, the sun. This is like the this is like the Middle Deshaun Ages. Deshaun is the sun. <laughs> Deshaun is the sun. The Browns are the Earth. The Browns are my Earth most days. I know for you guys, it's the same. Too. Yeah. Something's revolving around Deshaun, and uh, and um, and you know they've got to get that return on investment. It's about ROI right now. It's return on investment, $230 million. They've got to get uh, a deep, deep playoff run out of him. And what the, this is all about is they're supposed to be going to the Super Bowl. So you know what? Every single thing they do in this offseason is going to be geared towards that. You're starting to run out of time on some of your best guys. We all know that. I mean, this is not... Hard to see, you know, like you can only keep a core together for so long. It's time to get this thing done. Yeah, it's, you know, we're hearing all this talk about how young the Green Bay Packers are. And you're starting to realize like the Browns aren't this like plucky young team anymore. You know, they're not mm-hmm. old, but they're not, not, not this plucky young team. Guys have been paid. Their roster is expensive. And again, you made this deal for Deshaun Watson two off seasons ago. So you're two seasons into this. And so far, all you have to show for it is 12 games and you lost a playoff and you lost your only playoff game. There should yeah. be, there should be a sense of urgency. I'm not saying fire everybody, although they did do that. They did fire a couple people today, but what I'm, there needs to be a sense of urgency. Like you've got, you're sitting here on January 17th and you're not playing football anymore. And you made this trade two off seasons ago. Yeah, I mean, look at this. Your six-time Pro Bowl left guard is heading into his 11th season. Your NFL Defensive Player of the Year candidate is heading into his eighth season. Your running, but your star running back coming off of his second major knee reconstruction is heading into his seventh season. Your number one cornerback is heading into his seventh season. Your star receiver is heading into his 10th season. I mean, think about this, right? This is not, like you said, Dan, the plucky young Cleveland Brown. The time is now. The time was supposed to be this year. This this year was supposed Once they got past the suspension, this year, 2023, was supposed to be taking their prize pig to the fair. I always say that. Pig in a poke. I always say that too. That's for another day. Um, but... This was the year they were supposed to go to the fair with their prize pig and win whatever you win at the fair. <laughs> I can't carry these analogies. My nieces, my nieces, my nieces want a rabbit. My nieces want a rabbit at a fair once. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I thought that's what it was, the blue ribbon, but I was afraid to say. No, my cousin sure. did 4-H. She lived in LaGrange. She went to Keystone High School. Very big out there. She did have a pig. It was a very nice yes. pig. She took her senior pictures with it. God love her. Shout out there to my cousin go. Melody. Did she get a blue ribbon for anything? Yeah, she has so many ribbons. Yes. Oh the my pig gosh. one ribbons. The pig one so ribbons. I think. This was it. This was it. And I think even though they lost all the players that they did, by the time they brought Joe Flacco into the fold, I still think they thought, you know what? We can go deep into the playoffs. Now we have a quarterback who can help get us there. We've got everything else and we can do this. And they didn't even come close. I think that the thumping, the drubbing that they took in Houston, I, I just think I think it hurts them horribly. I can't disagree. 
All right. Um, and we, really, just oh, quick, ahead. like to that point, I just want to add, like, because at the end of the day, for as good as CJ Stroud is and everything, it's like to me, Houston is a team that snuck into the playoffs, and this was the number one defense. Like the Browns should have been more competitive in that yes. game, and and I do think like some of the issues were defensively, and obviously all the issues on offense. But I do think like you can't just risk one hundred percent running it back next year. Yeah, and we should talk about the defensive line yes. situation for a quick second. Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. So they are interviewing um, Ryan Crow. He's the outside linebackers coach for the Titans. He worked with Jim Schwartz for two years when Jim Schwartz was the senior offensive assistant, defensive assistant there. So um, when you look at the defensive line and what happened in that game, they did not come through in that game. They got no pressure on, on C.J. Stroud. They did not impact the game in the way that they should have. And then it made the back end guys look bad too, right? I mean, when you give a guy that kind of time. And they just didn't have an answer. They didn't make an adjustment. They didn't have an answer for what was going on with the Texans. They, they just weren't able to. Whereas the Texans, I thought they made some nice adjustments. They were giving up enormous plays to, uh, you know, to Joe Flacco. And at the outset, it looked like, yeah, you can do what you want over there, but you're not stopping David Njoku and you're not stopping Harrison Bryant today. And then you're not going to stop Amari when we get him going, but you know what they did? They put Derek Stingley all over, um, you know, all over Amari Cooper and they did some other really good things. So I think once again, what happened in that game uh, led to some of these spinoff moves that we're seeing now. And one of those is, you know, Ben Bloom, it looks to me like, He's lost his job. Miles Garrett did not have the kind of game anybody thought that he would or should have in that game. He should, you know, somehow, some way, you have to find a way to really, really change that game. Like you got to seize the moment and change that game. And I think you could hear Miles. Miles sort of was alluding to the fact in his post-game press conference like he was letting out the notion that perhaps you know we were out manned we were out gunned we were out maneuvered whatever we were out everything um and I think he was trying to say you know we didn't do some things in that game that we should have done so in comes a new I don't know if it's going to be Ryan Crow or not but there's going to be a new vibe that's that's Jim Schwartz's baby that defensive line and when you think about it, Miles had 14 sacks in a year. Okay, we're, we're supposed to be told that sacks don't matter that much, and I'm just not buying it, and I'm not, I'm not accepting that anymore. I just, I'm sorry, I'm not. Why would Jim Schwartz yell at his guys for going like two weeks without a sack if it's not that big of yeah. a deal? And why it's is a guy like Chris Jones in a post-game interview complaining that they gave half a sack to a teammate? Like he want players want right. the sacks, no matter what they say. Yeah, and coaches want those sacks, right? And other and opposing quarterbacks don't want them. And opposing coaches don't want them. They're important. They get the ball out of the hands of the quarterback sometimes. They knock you back. They take you out of field goal range. They mess up the game. So, Miles, in a year when we all thought he was going to have a career year under Jim Schwartz, by moving him around and giving him the favorable matchup whenever he could get it, you know, there was a chance he could have broken the NFL sack record set by Michael Strahan and TJ Watt. 
And after 13 sacks on November 12th, he didn't have hardly any. He had one in the season finale against Trevor Simeon. So there was that. And then you move to the rest of the guys. You know, Zadarius Smith should have been eating. And that dog didn't eat the way we thought he was going to either. Uh, until the final five games of the season, he had two and a half sacks. Two and a half sacks from your number two edge. Something wrong there. And your number three edge had four and a half sacks all season. So your second leading sacker, five and a half. Your third leading sacker, four and a half. You know, Jim Schwartz usually gets double digit sacks out of two guys, three guys sometimes, right? And and that didn't happen. And so it looks like the, the fall guy for that is going to be Ben Bloom. And they're going to have some new new energy there at defensive line coach. And that's big because you are coaching the best defensive player on the best defense in the NFL. One that is probably going to earn NFL Defensive Player of the Year honors at the NFL Honors Awards before the Super Bowl. This shouldn't surprise anybody either because when Jim Schwartz came in, there were certain people that he kept on his staff because you it's hard to just come in and remake an entire staff and guys have contracts and all of that. So sometimes it's hard even for Jim Schwartz to remake a staff on the fly. So now in year two, yeah, you know what? I think I want to go a different direction with my deep. I want to bring in one of my guys as defensive line coach. I want to bring in one of my guys here. Um, this was on an audition year for some of these guys that he decided to retain from the previous staff. So um, this, this really shouldn't be a surprise to anyone either that we might see some new, some new faces on that defensive side of the ball as well. Uh, I'm going to call an audible here on this podcast. I told you Lance Reisland was going to come up, but we went almost 40 minutes here. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to let this one be the pod here on Thursday. And then Lance's pod is going to run on Friday. Uh, we don't know if we're going to hear from Andrew Barry yet this week or not. So, um, we don't know if there'll be a reaction pod coming to that. So I promised you Lance Risland in the second half of this pod, you're not going to get him. You're going to have to wait until Friday for Lance, but it's worth it. We went about a half hour on, uh, on the Texans game. And then also did a, Ashley, I told you this, we did a draft of iconic duos. Yeah. And I picked one that, that, well, I didn't pick one, but I had an honorable well, mention that you would like. We have to tell, you know, well, like you told me what the honorable mention is, but we have to yeah. tell the funny exchange because I get on this podcast <laughs> and Dan says, this will be funny for people who have seen Gilmore Girls. Dan well, says, Ashley, I can't remember. Do you like Gilmore Girls? And I said, Dan, my dog's name is Paul Anka. It does not come <laughs> from the singer. It comes from the show. That is very funny, too, because I just have to wonder how how much crossover is there I with know. the Orange and Browns Talk pod and Gilmore Girls, right? These people might have no idea what we're talking I know. about. No, Some people, I don't know. But you know I would give think, our listeners credit. No, I you're right. I do, actually. I think no, there's... You're right. There, I would be curious to see if you if you will watch Gilmore Girls or like Gilmore Girls. Please let us know in some capacity once Dan gives you all of our social medias. <laughs> well, well, Ashley and Dan, if you look on my Instagram today, where I, I posted my annual uh, photo of me and my Himalayan cat Shelby. If I could, I have two of them, but I can't really hold both of them <laughs> at once. I feel bad about that. Um, but I do have another one that looks just like the first one. But anyways, um, 
So if you look, there was a comment there by a, a guy that says um, that he his daughter enjoys listening to the pod because she likes to listen to Mary Kate and Ashley and she aspires to do what we do. Um, so that's nice. there could be plenty of, and I, and this is not just a man woman thing, but there could be plenty of Gilmore girls watchers listening yes. to us. All right. So speaking of, girl. speaking of Instagram and Christmas trees, um, you can follow <laughs> us on Instagram, go to orange, and, go to Instagram, open up that app, find orange and Brown talk and hit follow. And one of our followers, uh, Scotty brush, commented on the video i put up today uh maybe a good day to get that tree down mary Kay. how did you <laughs> how did you manage to keep it alive for so long so scotty brush is very impressive i would like to go on the record to say our tree is down but my lights are still up and lit outside of my good house you, Dan. so guys I, my I not only is all my christmas stuff put away i have valentine's decorations out around oh. here right now. i'm doing a good job in my off week i hate to say it i hate i'm not trying to rub it in but maybe just a little bit <laughs> well like i told you guys I was on assignment today, something that I can't talk about yet. And that took up my whole day. It was a nine, at least like a nine hour assignment. And I was not able to take the ornaments off the tree as I have in maybe previous other years during this particular assignment. Uh, so it's still up there, but it did get, it did give me an opportunity to get the annual picture with Shelby last night. Now it's time. So good. To take the tree down, but I don't know. I got to get motivated. To, I got to get motivated. <laughs> My husband just <laughs> said it's got to be down by his birthday, which is February seventh. Oh, you turn get it time. Into a birthday you tree. Time. Turn it into a birthday tree. One of my oh friends my in college God. used to do that. She'd get little. She just left the tree up all year and would take little ornaments for the season. They had summer. So ornaments. bad. It's so they bad. Birthday ornaments. Oh. February seventh. That's like weeks that's a week's I away got to get it down before the combine right oh that's oh no it's got to get down by tomorrow it's, it's too much okay well i told you about instagram find us on youtube cleveland browns on cleveland.com become a football insider subscriber the blue banner at the top of the page at cleveland.com slash brown so again uh lance we're going to do a separate pod that will go up uh probably either later later today or maybe on friday morning uh so just make sure you're subscribed on apple podcasts and spotify to get all of that for ashley and mary Kay, i'm dan thanks for listening everybody